Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Big news today that everybody's talking about is about the President of the United States testing positive for COVID-19, as has the First Lady. As I come to you on air now, uh, the Chief of Staff has tested negative, Vice President Pence has tested negative, the, uh, the Vice President's wife has tested negative, and uh, Joe Biden is also negative. So everyone's now focused on this today. It's, it's created a bit of a frenzy. Let's all take a deep breath. Let's take a step back from all the insanity and be very clear about what we know right now and what this means as of now. The president has a virus that has infected millions, perhaps at this point, tens of millions of Americans. His chances of a full recovery, including a full recovery after pretty minimal symptoms, are very high. He does have uh, some cold-like symptoms at this point, so he is not asymptomatic. Now, this is a time when you do want to uh, pray for the president and the first lady, This is not a terminal cancer diagnosis. This is not something that we can't treat or we don't know what to do. There's an overwhelming likelihood based on just the statistics, the numbers. The president is going to be just fine. First lady, just fine. I mean, she's actually in considerably uh, better statistical condition, uh, although the president should be just fine as well. Now... There's a a lot of speculation that comes out of this right away. Uh, The New York Times, Washington Post already putting up things about, well, can the president even really still stay on the ballot or can the president be expected to continue on in this campaign in any meaningful way? Look, he's supposed to quarantine now for two weeks. We'll see how he does. Uh, It's as I've said, I'm very confident that the president's going to beat this thing. And we're going to hear in about a week's time that he's feeling pretty good and he's going to finish out his quarantine and get right back to it. That is my expectation. Now, nothing is perfect. Nothing is certain. We know that, too. But thoughts and prayers go up to the president, the first lady, everybody affected in the president's family and the White House and for the whole country. I don't care who you are. I don't care what we're talking about. If you are an American and The president of the United States has a disease that can be fatal, although it is very unlikely to be so. You are praying for the speediest possible recovery. It's what's best for the country. It's also what's the most fundamental decency we have as human beings. I can assure you right now that if, heaven forbid, Joe Biden came down with the coronavirus, the only thing you would hear from me on this show about that about the the condition and the diagnosis is I hope Joe Biden beats this thing as fast as possible with the bare minimum of of symptoms and discomfort. And God bless him and his family. That's the only way there. There's no other way. Right. There's no other way. You can't consider yourself to be a moral person and not root for your fellow American, uh, your fellow human being to beat this disease. I'm not worried for the president. I'm just hopeful he'll beat it quickly and get back out on the campaign trail. I mean, I could say I'm concerned. We're all a little concerned. I'm not worried. 
One thing we do know about this president, he's a fighter. And we know that this is a fight that he absolutely is going to win. Um, Now, I've also, if you recall, months ago I said, it's likely that one of the the candidates, we got a lot of senior citizen politicians out there, and it's likely that one of them is going to get COVID. You have to go back in the files. But I remember talking to this on the show. We're probably going to have somebody who is uh, COVID positive, who is either the pre- either the president or one of the Democrat candidates. This is, you know, earlier on, uh, one of the Democrats at the top of, of their list uh, coming forward with this. That that was what I thought was going to happen. And it just it's what you would expect under the circumstances. Now, now that we've dealt with the the, the basic truth of this, which is that the president has COVID, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him. And I'm praying for him and his family. And uh, now let's talk about because we have to. This is a a political show. What are the responses to this? What do people say in positions of power, of prominence, when they hear that the president of the United States has what can, in fact, be uh, a fatal disease? Now, as I've said, very unlikely, you know, it's point zero something or other and fatality overall. But today is unfortunately one of those days where you can make a very strong case that live blue check journos are, in fact, the worst professional class in America. I don't even think it's worth it's worth it to go through and cite all the individuals who are. And and I'm talking about not just strangers. Obviously, there are unhinged left wing Democrats. There are crazy people who are Democrats all across the country who are openly rooting for the uh, demise, the, the physical demise, the, the passing of the president of the United States. There are people out there who are saying it publicly. We see it, including blue checks, including people who make a living doing commentary. Now, you would think, you'd like to think at least, that this would be shouted down by other blue checks, that this would be considered so far beyond the pale, so unacceptable. But generally speaking, they move past it. They just ignore it. Almost like Antifa and the BLM riots. If they're not defending it, they're pretending it's not there. The people who are wishing for the death of the president of the United States on social media are a moral monstrosity. And I can tell you this, If you were a blue check conservative, if you were somebody in the media who works at one of the conservative, uh, one of the few conservative media platforms or you're a talk radio host like me and the roles were reversed and Joe Biden got sick with covid-19 and anybody uh, who said, you know, that they were happy about that or, you know, God forbid, they were hoping that that had a a tragic end, they would be held to account by their peers. I, I would not allow it to go. Uh, unconfronted if somebody on our side was doing that. It's happening all over the place with the libs. It's disgusting. And it's also entirely predictable. It's not even a little bit surprising. Although I have seen a couple of people uh, on on the right in media who are taking screen grabs of because they know that it's usually the emotional outburst from the libs that shows you what they really think. And then sometimes they're trying to clean it up afterwards. So they're screenshotting all these tweets they're putting out after the president has come down with COVID-19 to make sure that 
We know. We know what they really think. We know what their real beliefs are around the health and safety of the leader of the free world. <sighs> but there are people who are now trying to score uh, political points as well. So, so there's the unhinged leftist mob that is rooting for the president to fail in his fight against this disease, which is which is absolutely disgusting. But, you know, the same kind of moral monsters who cheered on the smearing and the psychological torture of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. But a couple of years ago, it's not a surprise that they're that much uh, that they're that deranged, that they're a bunch of savages, a bunch of true barbarian morons who now are openly rooting for COVID-19 to beat the president in this fight. So, But we do need to establish that that is there. And I'm telling you, and they would argue this, and I don't care, it's more prominent on the left than it would ever be on the right because they have convinced themselves it is mainstream. It is the dominant thinking on the left is that the president is an evil man who is a threat to this country as long as he is president and that he needs to be punished up to and including what they're saying on social media now about COVID. Uh, on the right, we would say that that's disgusting. We would never want that to be a, uh, a, a claim made or a desire in the name of our beliefs, in the name of our politics, if Joe Biden were sick. And I can tell you this, and I know you feel the same way. Not one day, not one second have I thought to myself, you know, it would be really great for us if Joe Biden got COVID-19. Wouldn't that? That's a, it's a it's an atrocious thought. And it's, it's a real moment of, of moral testing here. There's a real gut check that comes into this because I don't believe that both political parties are morally equivalent. I don't think either is perfect, but I do not believe that the right, that conservatism in America, that people who share the beliefs and fundamental principles uh, that I do. I don't think that the left is as worthy on those points. I don't think that the left holds itself to account. I think that they are much more willing to embrace psychotic viciousness in the name of politics, truly vindictive, unhinged mob mentality. You know, this is straight from the darkest moments of the French Revolution, right? Grab that person that never did anything to me and rip them apart with the angry mob screaming and shrieking and covered in blood. I mean, that's how crazy the left has become. And you see this now. You see the way they respond to the president's diagnosis. You see the way they cheer on mobs attacking police officers in the streets or burning down buildings. They have developed the Democrats. Let's use the word the left, the Democrats, one and the same a psychological sickness here over politics and the way they respond to the president, the first lady coming down with this diagnosis is yet more proof of that. And that's what's really troubling to me. I have full confidence in our president. He's a fighter. He's going to make it through this. And he is in very robust health. Thank God he has. He has been for a very long time. And the first lady is considerably younger than the president. And so she's at, I mean, she'll probably again, thoughts and prayers and we don't know but the likelihood is uh, in this situation that she'll end up with you know a sniffle and a sore throat for a week let's hope you know or less but then there are people that are making this uh, deeply political about masks and they're going to drill down into this and so this proves some thesis here because the, pre the president hasn't been 
the most vocal about masking always and all the time. Uh, if you really believe, and when I say you, you know what I mean, if one believes, if a person believes that wearing a raggedy, multiple-use, dirty, covered-in-bacteria cloth mask sometimes, not when you're eating in the restaurant, but when you walk into the restaurant, not in your home where you're around people, unfortunately, that you're most likely to get COVID from as family members. That's true. Intrafamilial transmission is really the biggest risk. It was, they thought, nosocomial transmission, transmission of the virus in the hospital, but it's really intrafamilial where a lot of people are getting this. And uh, if you really think that that little cloth on your mouth is a better precaution than what has been around the president, what the president has subjected everybody who meets with him to, they're doing daily testing for people in the White House. I got tested and they would not let me get into the actual West Wing. They would not let me actually sit down with the president until I had a negative test. Okay, but he has been masking more and more in the last couple of months. Right. The president finally said, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll make this concession. He has been masking up a lot more. And now he gets the virus. And now they're going to say, oh, but it's because he didn't do it. He didn't do what the science said. You're already hearing this. Nancy Pelosi taking a cheap shot. Maybe now he knows that we that you need to wear masks. As if we haven't had tens of thousands of people who were living in terror, constantly wearing masks, who still got sick. Who still got sick. But this is being right away politicized uh, about who believes in the signs. Trump is sick. Biden isn't. That's because Biden is wearing a mask all the time. No, it's because Biden is hiding in a basement. I mean, look, I. I agree. If you don't go outside, if you don't live your life, if you don't actually campaign for president in any normal way, you're at less risk for the disease. But if you're going to live your life and go out there, how much does having this porous cloth that is not sealed around your nose or your mouth on sometimes protect you? Maybe a little bit. But that's not the the takeaway. They want the takeaway to be, oh, there's some poetic justice in the president catching COVID. And I'm not even talking about the psychopaths that want the president to become really ill, hospitalized. And I'm just talking about people in general. They're saying, see, he got it because he didn't listen to the science. Really, morons? Because Boris Johnson got it. Other premiers of foreign countries have gotten it, including countries where they were all about masking all the time. No, the president had to keep being the president. And here's a narrative that may emerge out of this. Here's one that I see coming. We may, in fact, have a president who has been fighting with us through this virus for seven months, leading this country, not panicking people, being reasonable, working with states, making sure that the PPE was out there, making sure the virus vaccine was coming as quickly as possible. He may end up getting it himself because he was still out there, still being president, not hiding in a basement. And he'll beat this in a couple of weeks time and then have a few weeks to go out and show the American people that his story is our story. We're all going to beat this thing. We're not going to succumb to fear and hysteria. We as a country, as a people, will beat this virus just like the president of the United States and the first lady will. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 
And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. We don't even know what's going on because all the lies. But here's the thing that's so irresponsible. He's going to Minnesota knowing that Hope had it. He's going to New Jersey knowing that Hope had it. Uh, The White House press secretary unmasked is giving a press conference. Nobody in the Congress is being notified. Uh, And so this is just rank irresponsibility and it's rank incompetence. And let's just stipulate he's lied about the science for six months, couldn't protect himself or his family. So how is he going to protect the American people going forward? And so I feel bad that he's sick. I want him to get better. Certainly, it's a tragic situation, uh, but we have to not let up on the gas if you want to remove him. We have to still discuss the racism, the destruction of the democracy, the demolishing of the institutions of our government, the voter suppression. All of this stuff has to be discussed now. I mean, the Mooch is a is a tremendous scumbag. I, I wanted you to hear that so you could know what a scummy fellow this is. And the president made him chief of his transition. The president has bad instincts about people that he puts in charge. We, we, that's established. Even the most ardent Trumpers have to go, oh, okay, okay, you want to play this game? The Mooch, Cohen, uh, Omarosa, you get on the list. These are people he gave real authority and power to. So the president has had some very bad decision-making around that. Look, no one's perfect. I get it. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to bash or, or, or dive into that right now. But, I mean, the, the Mooch, this guy here, he, he, he's just parroting what the Democrats want to hear, right? This is, if you want to be on MSNBC, this is what you have to say. The president's lied about the science. Okay, like how? Notice how when, let's say, Fauci's out there saying, okay, don't wear a mask, especially outside, it's dumb. Wearing a mask if you're healthy doesn't make any sense. You don't need to do that. Oh, he wasn't lying. He just was wrong. If the president said something at any point during COVID, it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. We're going to be all right. He's lying. So the experts can get away with being factually wrong at any point in this. The experts, and I will not let this go, at least the ones that we see on TV who are doctors and public health and epidemiologists, uh, they would justify the BLM protests. Remember, BLM protests happen. Huge spike in cases all summer, all across the country. But we're supposed to believe that didn't spread the virus. Right. The big biker rally up in the Dakotas that spread the virus, they said, was ended up not even being true. But the BLM riots where people were showing up in close quarters, screaming for hours and hours. Right. When I say outdoor transmission isn't a risk, I'm obviously not saying you can go up to someone and spit in their face and you're outdoors. So you can't get the virus. I'm just saying in the normal course of walking past people, if, if you keep six feet from somebody outside, The scientific evidence is there's basically zero chance, right? There's like less than a lightning strike chance you're actually going to contract COVID-19 from walking past someone outside who doesn't have a mask on or and if you don't have a mask on. But if you're all packed together screaming, you know, whose streets are streets, then you might put yourself at some risk. But I I just really hate this too. Scaramucci couldn't protect himself or his family. What a scummy what a scummy guy this fellow is, really. Anything to just be a, whatever benefits him the most. So mooch, the mooch is scummy. Don Lemon is just dumb. Here's Don Lemon, play 10. 
Uh, Carl, in large part, uh, it's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance uh, and, and call it a hoax and so on and so forth. But, you know, again, it's horrible that the president has this, but he chose to handle the situation this way. Uh, people in the West Wing and the administration saying it's frowned upon to wear masks. You know, we saw the tape of Nancy Pelosi getting her hair cut, walking around a salon, people working in there, no mask on a salon that was shut down because people can't get their hair cut because, you know, even with a mask on, it's so dangerous. We saw the video of Dianne Feinstein walking through the airport, no mask on in a private airport, of course, because she's super rich and important. But no mask on. The pilots have masks on. They have to. But Diane Feinstein, the rules are for the little people. Look, this is really getting into some some core psychological and I really think brain wiring differences between the left and the right. I I want to be and I think the conservative mentality is I think people that share my worldview, my view of life. I want to be as much in charge of my own decisions, my own life as humanly possible. And I do not trust people that there's no accountability for and don't give a crap about me to make decisions about my health and my life. Okay, that that's the other people think, oh, if the mob, if the crowd says that this is what should be done, even if they're changing their mind every month, even if they're hypocritical because they don't actually do the things they tell other people to do, I'm going to do that because there's security in consensus. But it's actually a false security because there isn't a real consensus. But the president partly to blame. No, the president made a decision, an affirmative decision to go out and campaign and be, gosh darn, president of the United States. I want to say something else, but, you know, family show. Be the president of the United States, even during a pandemic, to campaign, to take his message to the people. And I think that this is an example of how we all should be able to make choices in our lives. Okay, you don't want to wear a mask. You don't want to be around anybody. Stay home. Stay home till the vaccine has been tested for 18 months. We'll make sure you get all the food you need. We'll take care of those people. But to have everybody basically stay home, what what are we doing? They agreed in the risk analysis in the early days that lockdowns and these restrictions until the vaccine were catastrophic, destructive and wrong. But this has become polarized. It's become political now. We got an election coming up, so they're not going to relent on this at all. They pretend like we didn't have these discussions. They pretend that no one really knows uh, what was said before and can't compare it to what is being said now. But I'm just here to remind everybody that the experts have been wrong time and time again, that they wanted us to create at one point a million ventilators. And since then, we found out that ventilators are a not a good treatment for this an absolute last resort. And with the way they're putting people on ventilators in the beginning, there was about a, a 50% chance that that person would die after being put on the ventilator. Right? They didn't know very much. They didn't understand very much. And they were telling us just panic lockdown. Don't go outside. We have no idea how much real damage has been done to the economy yet because we haven't been able to normalize what stores are really going to open. What business models are really going to work? How many missed cancer diagnoses are there? How many, you know, they're not really tabulating the overdose numbers and everything at a national level. I'd be very curious to see how many people have become so depressed that they're suicidal because they're separated from people. There's this terrible story of a woman 
uh, senior citizens in her 90s in Florida, and she just stopped eating because she couldn't handle the isolation anymore. Isolation imposed on her. She's a healthy woman. She was a healthy woman. But, oh, my gosh, you might, you, you might get COVID, so no one's allowed to see you. Story out of Florida just in the last week. Stopped eating, died. You know, that's where we are. We have seniors who are going on effectively self-imposed hunger strike because they're they're being abandoned by society because, God forbid, we make some look, we got to take some precautions, but you're going to not let anyone see their loved ones. You're going to have people locked down in, in nursing homes that can't have any contact with the outside world. We can't do testing and and basic precautions for seniors. No, it's just it's so much easier to say, wear a mask, shut up, stay inside, lock down. These people are desperate for control, control that doesn't exist. The virus is going to keep spreading. The virus is going to be all over the place. We have a vaccine coming. Hopefully it works really well. There is a possibility that we're going to have to deal with this even after the uh, the vaccine, that there may be mutations. And this now becomes like the flu, a seasonal affliction that we have to deal with. What's really the answer? Are you going to wear a mask forever? Are you going to work out with a mask on forever? Are going to go for all your jogs with a mask on the rest of your life for a disease that kills substantially less than 1% of the people who get it. And now as they're getting better at the treatments on it too, that number keeps going down. I mean, really the fatality rate that we've been talking about, 0.03 is the one that you most often, I think, see, 0.03, 0.04. That's for all age categories. You get under 50, it's like 0.0001. And that number is also going to keep going down because the therapeutics are getting better because the vaccines will be a, a, a useful tool in helping to control this. But see, control is really the word we have to focus on here because the left wants to control you. They want to tell you what to do. And there are a lot of people um, who honestly go about their day to day lives with a tremendous amount of anxiety and a bit of cowardice and really think that the government is going to be able to protect them from all the bad things. If only the big mean people like me and you who believe in individual freedom and choice and liberty stopped wanting those things, the government would make them safe and warm at night. The government would provide for them and everything would be better. This is the fantasy that leads to tyranny, and unfortunately, it's a fantasy that about half of this country has fallen in love with. It's not real. We're going to continue to get dragged through this. If Joe Biden gets elected, it's only going to get worse. A national mask mandate? Think about that. It'll be enforced uh, in a way that's clearly selective. It'll be used as a, as a cudgel against, remember, the red states, oh, they don't believe in math. They're so bad. The red states have, especially the large, heavily populated ones, had far better outcomes in this fight against COVID than the blue states have. But that's always lost in the conversation somehow. The worst places in the country are in the northeast of the United States, the bluest of the blue states. Somehow we're not supposed to pay any attention to that. Weren't we all wearing masks here in New York? Yes, we were. People want to spit on you, which obviously could actually transmit the virus. If you go outside a beautiful sunny day, don't have a mask on. And we had the worst outcomes here. We weren't anti-mask truthers in New York City. I can tell you that in the beginning of the pandemic. I'm not ashamed to say it. I never left the house without a mask. I was wearing rubber gloves. But that was after having been on the subway four times a day during the maximum spread when no one even knew what the heck this thing was. We've forgotten everything, though. It's just panic and politics and the infliction of emotional distress on the population so that they don't push back and they don't have any willingness to say enough is enough. That's really the Democrat vision for your future. 
And they're trying to leverage the fact that the president of the United States, like many other presidents and prime ministers around the world, has COVID-19 to further ram all of this down your throat. It's really upon all of us to decide whether or not we're going to accept that. I say no. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. My initial reaction was this is great because so often these debates become parallel news conferences where one candidate answers the question to him, the other candidate answers the question to him. So when the president started engaging with Biden, I thought we're going to have a real debate here. It became clearer and clearer over time that this was something different and that uh, the president was determined to try to butt in and throw uh, Joe Biden off. Uh, you, you gave your statistics. I saw another Fox analysis that indicates the president interrupted either Biden's answers or my questions a total of 145 times, which is way more than one a minute. And, and he bears the primary responsibility for what happened. on. There were a lot of interruptions. That that is true. There were a lot of interruptions. Now, Biden, I think, interrupted about 70 times. Trump, he says 140. So Trump, more interruptions than Biden. Biden interrupted him back. I mean, a lot of interruptions. That is that is a fact. I can't say that that's not a lot. But I think that the biggest problem with the debate, if there could be any one thing, was the moment the president felt like it was a two on one, then he just then he just wanted to go bare knuckle and it was a free for all. And that happened very early on. It happened because the way that Chris Wallace, a Democrat who clearly wants a job at NBC News, uh, a, a Democrat interacted with Trump from the from the earliest phases of the debate, showed exactly what I used to deal with when I'd go on to represent a conservative point of view at CNN, which is that, oh, the moderator, the anchor, whatever. He's on this other guy's team. That that much was quite clear. He's on this other person's uh, side. And once you feel like that's the case, then things really get crazy. Then things really get nuts. Uh, And that's what happened. There was that. So the lack of a perception of impartiality by by Trump, which I think is completely founded, that was a big problem. But the even more obvious problem, perhaps, because that one, there's some subtleties, the even more obvious problem is that the questions that were asked were just the topics were not very good. And the questions were clearly meant to attack Trump and they were dumb. We'll get into this white supremacist uh, fixation. That's, I think, fading today, but the media had it for a few days. But the whole way that this was structured and set up and the attacks on the, the way the questions that Chris Wallace uh, put out there were meant to undermine the president was very obvious. So, of course, he's going to react in in a way where he feels like he's in an ambush. And this, this is I, I can tell you this right now. Even if you're a really adept debater, and I'm sure many, many, many of you listening are debating two people is really hard. It's really hard because you have, as especially if you're a person who's generally a f- fair minded, you know, you want to give them equal time uh, or at least some time to respond. But when it's two people and you feel like it's two on one, well, now it's clearly not equal time. So now you're just going to fight for everything you have. Now you're just going to be in a position where you feel like they're throwing elbows, I'm throwing elbows too. And you got two people you got to hit back against. 
Uh, so the questions were a, a total travesty. I, I don't want to get too much into the debate aftermath. We already did that. But now it's the, okay, what's happening in the next debates? As you know, the vice president is scheduled to debate Kamala Harris uh, coming up on, on Wednesday. Um, I think that will be interesting. Uh, I think that Mike Pence is a little bit of an undervalued asset to the administration. The guy is, it's funny, so much of the criticism around Trump is he's not presidential. And uh, Mike Pence could be the president in every movie ever made, right? I mean, Mike Pence is the guy you think of. His tone of voice, his demeanor, the way he looks, everything. I mean, it's like, this guy looks like he's the president. Straight out of central casting. Uh, and a very nice guy, too. All my interactions with him, I found him to be a very, very pleasant. And it seems like that's really who he is. And I think it's it's a, a it was a very I mean, you know, I criticized the president before. He's made some bad choices about picks. He's also made some great choices. And I think Vi- uh, Vice President Pence is an excellent choice and has been a huge asset to the administration. I think Pompeo is a great choice bar. I mean, so, you know, credit where it's due always. Right. Let's be let's be honest and fair. Uh, so now what happens in the presidential debate, though, now that's that's an open an open question. I don't think anybody really knows. Uh, for one thing, there's all this talk about. And I said I kind of like the idea. And now I've gone back. So, you know, I, I changed my mind about these things or I evolve in my thinking because I, I was frustrated about all the crosstalk. It's not fun to watch crosstalk. As a viewer, this is one of the reasons I don't have Democrats on radio to argue it, because we're just going to start. It's it's I value your time so much that I don't want you to hear, you know, the back and forth of and you don't know what's being said. And they're like, what am I wasting my time here for? So crosstalk inherently is a frustrating. It's like the equivalent of watching a TV that has a fuzzy picture. I don't care what the show is. You know, you could be watching your favorite movie of all time. If there's lines going through the picture and it's fuzzy, you're like, ah, I'm not enjoying this. That's what crosstalk does in a debate and in an exchange on, on politics. So that was why I was thinking maybe a mute button would stop that. But of course, then the mute button, how that moderator and the moderators that Trump's going to do here are libs the next in the next round. I've never even heard of some of them before. I think it's fascinating who the commission on presidential debates chooses to moderate a presidential debate because I've never heard of them. I think it's likely they'll probably not be uh, so one sided in their questioning. I think it's likely they won't be so um, clearly favoring one side. That doesn't mean they won't favor, but I don't, I don't think they will be as obvious. Chris Wallace, of course, doesn't think he was obvious. I think it was a disgrace. Uh, but it's also telling that Democrats really don't want Biden to go into another debate, which if they thought that Trump was such a barbarian and so terrible and so awful, wouldn't they want this? Right. I mean, you know what? I'm 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 just going to say it. I'm freakishly good at ping pong and I smoke people in ping pong all the time. I don't know why. Now, there are obvious some of you are like, look, I'm professional on the Olympic team. Yeah, you would beat me. But your average weekend warrior ping pong player can't hang with the Buckster. And if I beat somebody, they want to come back and they want to play. I'm going to say, yeah, sure, I'll I'll beat this guy before I'll beat him again. Right. It's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Well, why wouldn't Pelosi, if Trump was such a an uncouth barbarian and and Biden did so well against him, why would she be saying this? Play nine. You know, people say, well, they should have had a button that turned one microphone off while the other person was speaking. Whatever it is, I think one and done, Uh, one and done. But 
Randy, when people run for president, that's president of the United States. Joe Biden will do. He's courageous. I never thought he shouldn't do it because I didn't think he would do well. I thought he shouldn't do it because I thought uh, something like this could happen. But if we're up to you, one and done. (laughs) One and done. One and done. What did I tell you? Again, I don't like to be the guy that's always... Well, I kind of do like to be that guy. But I said, people ask me, if you go back to some of the roll calls in July, August, I was like, there's going to be one debate. There's got to be one debate. Biden's got to show up for it. Now with the COVID diagnosis of Trump, and are we sure there's going to be another debate? I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I think the Democrats believe that they could get away with not doing it. And that's also one of the reasons they're attacking the... Uh, COVID precautions or lack thereof, they say, from the Trump side in this last debate to say, see, it's like a debating Trump is not just unpleasant because he's so mean, but it's also a health risk, right? This is the other thing that you now hear from people. And then there's Joy Behar. She's on television so she can just tell you about politics. You don't know, Big Whoop. Here she is, play 18. You don't think Biden should show up to the debates, Joy, anymore? Is that true? Yes, I don't think he should do it. I think he should stay away. Uh, Joe Biden has nothing to gain from this. It's a fiasco. It gives Trump a platform to lie, to give dog whistles to his base, to uh, sort of instruct them to be violent uh, in this very sort of semi-subtle way, I'll say. There's absolutely nothing. Biden is too much of a gentleman to be be talking on the same stage with this Neanderthal. Look at what happened the other night when Trump attacked his son, Biden's son. Biden couldn't could have yeah. gone after him yeah. and talked about Ivanka, the consultant. But he did not do that because he's mm-hmm. a gentleman. Americans have seen enough. We don't need to see anymore. If you're still undecided out there, you need to see a shrink. You need to see a shrink. I think I think Joy needs to see a shrink. I think Joy's out there saying things that are just not true. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to compare Hunter Biden to Ivanka Trump. Good luck with that one, Joy. <laughs> see, see how that goes in the public eye. Yeah. One is a crackhead who impregnates strippers and pretends he's not the daddy of the baby after making lots of money from his daddy's connections. And the other is Ivanka Trump. So, yeah, just just saying, I don't think that really has quite the resonance that she thinks that it does. Biden. Biden's too much of a gentleman to be talking on the same stage with this Neanderthal. Okay, Joy. Okay, sure. Who listen? I, I want to meet a person who thinks that they should hear what Joy Behar thinks in politics. I want to meet this person and then ask them if they can tie their own shoes. Just just as an experiment. I just wa- I want to know. I'm curious. It's like a sociological experiment. Like, you know, I just listen to Joy. I think Joy's got great advice and thoughts on things, says Joy. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. But <laughs> she's great for this show, though. You know, just because I, I talked to million. Oh, right, I'll stop. I'll, I know a lot of you like, but good God, get a grip. Uh, yeah. Will there be another debate? I'm not sure. Will Trump win the next one? I think he would. If you see the uh, there's a there's a poll that was circulating. I think it was a CNBC poll, hundreds of thousands of votes. Now, it's not a scientific poll. Okay, yeah. No, C-SPAN poll, pardon me. Who won the first presidential debate? 69% with 325,000 votes in. 69%. Donald Trump. I think maybe that's why they don't want another debate. 
Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. You know, Biden lost badly when his supporters are saying that he should cancel the next debate. Now that we want to change the rules, they want to change the rules. That's what they want to do and allow the moderator to cut off the microphone. Democrats always want to shut down free speech. That's what they want to do because they're terrified the American people will hear the truth. They want to rig this debate. They want to rig the election with the ballots. These millions of ballots that are coming in that nobody knows where they're coming from, who they're coming to, and who's sending them back. I'm not just running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the corrupt far-left media, the socialists, communists, and the Democrat Party, and the special interests who get rich bleeding off our country and bleeding it dry. Never forget, they are coming after me because I am fighting for you. So true. It really is true that they've tried in so many different mechanisms, so many different ways to change the rules at the last minute. And this is what they this has really become a a progressive uh, Democrat obsession. They want to make sure that they just change the rules of the game. They're afraid they can't actually win the game. The contest will not work for them. So they want to change the rules around it. Um, they, They completely dispense with any pretense that we've got these rules for a reason. And the rules have been agreed to. The rules are there because they're sensible, because they're fair to both sides. No, no, no. Forget that. Whatever it takes, anything to win. That's the approach. And that's also of, of the Democrats. And that's why I view the Trump uh, response to all of this. I view President Trump's uh, feelings on not just the way he interacted with Joe Biden, but also how Joe Biden now wanting to duck a debate is indicative of the real feelings of Democrats. I think this is pretty obvious at this point. I think it's true, but we shall see if it ends up happening or not. Now we also have the uh, ACB situation, right? Where people have been saying, um, people have been saying that they should now defer or delay the ACB nomination based upon um, based upon the president having a COVID diagnosis. Now, understand this. Uh, she, I believe, already had COVID-19, as did her husband over the summer, and she's now fine, so she should probably have some degree of immunity to it now. Although now there's all these studies about how the antibodies wear off after a few months, whatever. Uh, but ACB, uh, that has nothing to do with the president. There's no reason. The Senate was able to conduct its business yesterday. The Senate should be able to conduct its business tomorrow. There's nothing about this that should make us all think that we don't uh, go forward with the process. But Democrats are desperate, right? They've gone from it's not in the rules to now it's a COVID to once again, it's always for them about complaining about the process when it doesn't work for them and claiming the process is absolutely sacrosanct when it does. Right. A principle would be. The understanding of why things are the way they are, the reasons for that, and how it's fair to both sides, including when both sides disagree on something. With Democrats, it's purely about self-interest and whatever works in the circumstance, and that's how they approach it. That's how they approach everything. Uh, it's what, the way they feel about the debates, the way they feel about mail-in ballots, and now it's the way they feel about the ACB nomination. Um, I think it's we've actually reached a point here where the ACB, I had initially thought that 
it would add, you know, we would, everyone's been making the same joke about this is Spinal Tap, it'll take the dial to 11, but something like that, that it would just be the Sharknado of political clashes, right? Just every, oh my gosh, we got this presidential election with Trump, and then we've got the ACP nomination for the RBGC. And now I'm starting to think that maybe this is like another movie analogy. Remember in Shawshank? When he uses the thound, uh, the thound, the sound, the thound, the sound of the thunder to a mask when he breaks open the sewage pipe with the rock. Great movie. Producer Mark, you've seen uh, Sawshank Redemption, right? Of course. Yeah. Great movie. I mean, ridiculous, like doesn't it's very unrealistic, but who cares? Great movie. I don't care. So uh, I really like the movie a lot. But, you know, he masks the the pounding sound of the rock with the thunder. And I almost feel like right now the ACB nomination, there's so much they've they've put so much energy into Trump hatred that maybe and I I may regret saying this in a week or two. I'm going to admit this right now. Maybe they're just, you know, they've got their reserves of the lunatic libs, you know, off the main battlefield and they're about to rush out. I don't know. But it feels like they might have exhausted all resources and energy of hatred and insanity at Trump. So they just can't even that they want to make a total war situation out of the ACB nomination. But how do they go beyond the max? You know, how do you go beyond all out war, the full on frenzy? It doesn't seem clear to me how they would do that. It doesn't seem clear to me what they would do. To go there. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm starting to think that maybe maybe the Trump not maybe the Trump election is the thunder that's going to mask the rock uh, breaking the pipe of the ACP nomination at some level. Like it's just they, they can't do both. They can't fight both of these wars effectively at the same time. They don't have, you know, like they're fighting a war on two fronts and they don't have the manpower to do it because they've gone all in against Trump. And that's why, I mean, Schumer, for example, is saying stuff like this. It's just such weak sauce. Play 13. No Dem has attacked Barrett over her faith. It's a diversion because they don't want to address the issues, including health care and including Roe v. Wade. I think Roe v. Wade, if Judge Barrett got on the court, could either be eliminated or at the very minimum, the horrible minimum, so greatly constricted that you'd never recognize it. Um, no, we're not avoiding it. I mean, that's crazy. First of all, the 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 <laughs> the claim that no one's attacking her over her faith. It's happening all over the place, all over the media. They're attacking her constantly, okay, about things that have to do with her Catholicism. So she, he's just, that's just crazy talk, right? That's a, but he knows that it's not a good look to attack, especially attack a woman, I think, over her faith. I just think the public views that as, you know, a Catholic mom. Oh, she, she's, now, she's now a psycho weirdo Jesus freak. Is that what they're really saying? Not a good look, libs. Not a good look, Democrats. But the, now to say that, oh, well, Roe is, is under threat. Uh, guess what? Conservatives want it to be. Li- liberals act like if people hear that Roe v. Wade may be in jeopardy, everyone who supports the ACB nomination is going to be like, well, in that case, um, you have it backwards, Schumer. You gross, underhanded fellow you. <laughs> 